Hi, I'm Sandeep Kumar and welcome to this week's episode of Mastering Your Investment Business. Every week I go behind the scene with my guests, what is it like to be a dental entrepreneur? What does it take to build a successful business and how Invisalign that little piece of plastic has impacted their world? Let's get started. It's my real pleasure to welcome Mark Hughes to Mastering Your Invisalign Business podcast. Mark has accomplished lots of accolades in dentistry and in my opinion needs no introduction. He founded probably one of the most well-known dental practice in UK, Harley Street Dental Studio. I am excited and looking forward to discussion and unpacks Mark's journey as a amazing cosmetic dentist, as an entrepreneur and as a teacher. How are you, Mark? I'm really well, Sandy. Really nice to chat to you. Absolutely. And thanks for taking time, man. I know how busy you are and how many balls you're trying to juggle at one time. So really, really appreciate your time, buddy. That's a pleasure. It's a topic I love discussing. So, Good. Excellent. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm sure it will it will just flow. None of us have to prepare anything for this, right? <laughs> indeed, indeed. Yeah. So before we before we jump into the world of Invisalign and Clearline, let's let's start with you, Mark. You know, just just take us to beginning. Tell us about your background and how did the dentistry appeared in your life? Sure. Well, it's it's a very timely question because um, within the next six months, I will have qualified 30 years ago. Oh, wow. Um, so <laughs> I, I was sort of in the midst of preparing for my final exams in 1992 um, and actually graduated November 1992 after a five and a half year stint at Trinity College Dental School in Dublin. I was just about um, to say, you're going to say I'm going to be th- turning 30 years old in six months. So you're not doing no, that, bad, buddy. <laughs> you're very charming. But no, I'm, a, I'm afraid I'm turning 52 this year. <laughs> but um, I was a young graduate uh-huh. and uh, I was the youngest or second youngest, I think, in my class. So I was thrust out into the world of general practice in the NHS and went to the UK to make my fortune, as, as we all did back in those days. And, and got straight into NHS practice, which I very quickly realized was not for me after a couple of years. Um, so uh, took a year and a half off, went traveling the world, worked in Australia, did some flying doctors, worked in a private practice in Sydney, which sort of opened my eyes to what I knew the possibilities were in terms of private dentistry and how we could present ourselves to our patients and actually have more enjoyment, more fun and, and greater growth in the type of dentistry that I really wanted to do. Um, And so I guess uh, after 18 months away from home, I was about to head to India for another six months. And I think my career alarm bells were calling and said, (laughs) maybe it's time to go back to London, which is what I did. Um, And that's, I never looked back then. I started in private practice in 1997. um, And very soon after that, started to travel to the US to learn about doing veneers, doing complex restorative dentistry. And along that way, it became very apparent to me that I would have to revisit the undergraduate training that I'd had in orthodontics. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Be, be, been a bit of journey, eh? Been a bit of journey. <laughs> bit, of a, bit of a journey. And yeah, so, um, so between now and then, I've owned multiple practices, all private. Uh, I had a small group of private practices in London. We had four at one stage. I got involved in helping to start Dentex, which was a, a baby uh, yeah. when you and I met Sandeep. Yeah, and, yeah. <laughs> uh, and now it's grown to over 100 practices, although I have, I have no uh, official work for them anymore. Um, yeah. 
And I very recently again opened another clinic, another private multidisciplinary clinic near my home in Buckinghamshire, really to spend more time with my children and commute less into London, um, which was beginning to be a bit of a drag. Yeah, yeah, but but I've done it again. I've opened another one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think we need to take a step back, Mark. You're moving too fast, man. I think I, I, I need to. I've got a lot to learn from you, so let let's take a step at a time. <laughs> sure thing, sure thing. Mark, I first I came across you in so in 2007. I came to London uh, with Zaki to meet Zaki. I was thinking about <gasps> opening a private practice. And that guy took me around and he showed me lots of practices. We didn't come to your practice that time, but he drove past me and he said, that's the Harley Street Dental Studio and this and that. And while I was preparing to open my practice, obviously, you know, I went to all the websites and this and that. So, you know, I knew where you are and where your practice was and this and that. But honestly, I don't know either you remember or not. We met uh, in 2010 at Align Summit in Barcelona. And mm -hmm. at that time, for me, you was like a superstar of cosmetic dentistry. <laughs> <laughs> and still is. I'm not, I'm not saying things have changed. So talk to me about, you know, that practice was different than anybody else what was doing at that time. That was not a normal, your average high street dental practice. Where did that idea came from and how did you brought that into reality? Can we talk about that? Of course we can. So I think it goes back to my time spent in Australia and in the US. Um, and I realized from attending international conferences and visiting dentists and getting to know dentists that, I mean, what I was used to in the UK was that uh, most people had a high street practice in a town or in a village or in a city with a shop front type presentation. Now, I had worked for a chap in South London who had spent one day a week at a clinic in Devonshire Place. Oh, and yeah. of course, yep. that, that was my first introduction, apart from signing up with, with the GDC in 1993, when I first started to practice, that was my introduction to what was going on in the Harley Street area. And knowing dentists overseas, a lot of them who were very, very successful did not rely on a shop front presentation and a waiting room in front of a high reception desk. Right. They very much relied on interpersonal relationships, excellent communication with the patients, time spent with the patients in a luxurious environment, more like a, like a member's club or a beautiful um, living room or beautiful home and not quite like a lot of the practices that I had come across in the UK. Yeah. And their success was not dependent on footfall, it was dependent on the relationships that they built. Yeah. And and so that gave me the inspiration, well, not only because of the type of dentistry these guys were doing was what I wanted to do, it gave me the inspiration to look beyond the traditional model. And certainly when we when I first opened Harley Street Dental Studio in two thousand and three, I'd spent a lot of time in America. I'd honed my skills in cosmetic dentistry. I'd been to American Academy of Cosmetic Dentistry conferences. I had uh, just signed up and um, learned how to do Invisalign. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think it was one of the first, at one of the first courses yeah. in the UK. Um, and it was also the dawn of the internet and dentists being allowed to market and introduce themselves to a wider audience via the web. Yeah. And so 
that that was i think what those sort of three major elements uh, differentiated the practice and the way the practice was presented we have no front door apart or no front door presence so basically in harley street everything is behind a large black door or a large colored door you have no advertising to the public apart from of course we had invested very heavily in a great website and showcasing the work that i was doing from a very early uh, very early time in, in developing the practice. Yeah, so you know, you're talking about uh, luxury, you're talking about concierge type of service, you're talking about high-end dentistry. So that's where you started at Harley Street. And you mentioned earlier, we were discussing about that you opened many since then. So is that's been your principle? Is that's been your, uh, you can say like a, every business you built around that or you change your model as you went along? That's a great question. I think the simple answer to the question is every single one was based on the same principles. Right. And in fact, opening the new clinic um, for the first time, I've I've done something in the suburbs or in the home counties, not in, a, in the center of a city. And I had trepidation about it. I was worried that maybe the patient pool wasn't large enough. But of course, the opposite happened. I realized that that type of relationship-based dentistry and concierge level um high customer service level dentistry was was missing yeah um and um so i've gone right back to the same principles that i learned over 25 years ago and it's still successful yeah so tried and tried and tested principles and ideas huh? <laughs> tried and tested absolutely yeah but you know now you what you're talking about is everybody's doing it right it's uh, you can find lots of practices who can say luxury surroundings concierge service, high-end treatments. But when you did it, it was like, you know, unheard of these things. So I yes. think it was, you was like one of the pioneers at that time to start that type of dentistry, yeah? <laughs> yes, and I, and I guess this is always something that my wife said to me, um, is that, you know, it was the first, it was the first time that that was tried. Um, now, I had certainly a lot of colleagues at the time who were doing the same thing um, or trying to do the same thing, So, but there were very few of us. Yeah. And um, and I think the interesting thing is a lot of people have plagiarized or copied or, you know, reworded some of the, the scripting on our marketing and our websites. You see it everywhere. I see things I wrote in 2003 appearing in web, <laughs> new websites. Yeah. And um, but the, the one thing that's important and the one thing um, that really still makes um, excellent relationship-based dental practices stand out is actually being able to walk the walk and talk the talk all the time, yeah. not just every now and again. Yeah. And it's maintaining that consistency is the challenge. You know, your your website, even on those days, was very unique. Did you did you have an input into how you were designing the website or you left it for your uh, web guys and come up with a design? And so how... Because it was, you know, I still remember those days when I was looking at the website and even the copywriting on that, it was different. You could tell this is a difference than everybody else. Yeah, so again, great question. Um, so there were three sort of principles. The first was I got very heavily involved in the writing of the copy. And, okay. you know, it took an awful lot of time, an awful lot of my time yeah. because I wanted it to be representative of me. Um, the second was I was introduced to some very progressive web designers in America. So now initially my first websites and our first web marketing strategies were all done using agencies that were based in California. Right, right. Now 
subsequently there you know challenges arose in terms of communication and and uh, I, I guess local cultural differences that the Americans really just didn't get yeah. and we shifted to somebody I've loved and trusted as a friend and a, and a business uh, had a business relationship with for over 15 years in the UK and, and I'm still with him yeah um, but initially it was because the American designers were very progressive but the third thing was very early on I invested in photography and video of real patients patients I'd actually treated and posted my cases on a regular basis on a consistent basis so that the the patients were noticing that well I think very quickly patients got to know a stock photograph yeah and got to know practices that were using multiple stock photographs because they would appear on lots of different websites uh, and so for me to have real patient examples real patient testimonials and to have them beautifully professionally photographed you know we could get a decade of use out of a great set of professional photos yeah yeah and even you know nowadays i see oh you will be surprised how many practices just have befores and afters of teeth on their websites that's right and you're talking about using start using the faces like 10 15 years ago and you were step a step ahead of the game at that time and that's really you know made you as successful as you are well, my I keep uh, certainly the the students that I teach and the people that I talk to about my history and dentistry. I always go back to the Pankey Institute in yeah. Florida, which for me was the greatest thing that happened to my career. And Dr. Pankey, who some people listening will know, a lot of people will have never heard of, his his famous quote was that he never saw a tooth walk into his office, his dental office. Wow. And basically, it you know that really rings true to this day because we treat patients we don't treat teeth absolutely um, yeah we're sh yes you can show off smile transformations yeah. but that smile has to live in a person yeah and yeah. and that person for you to produce the best results for them you have to get to know them and and it's an un understanding the human beings behind the treatment is you know we don't always get it right i certainly still don't always get it right but you've got to invest time in getting to know people yeah, absolutely love that. We are all working progress, right? But it is about changing lives. Yeah, and smile is yeah. just straightening a teeth is one thing, but what what the impact of that is really that's what it that's what ultimately we're trying to achieve. Let's talk about Invisalign, Mark. How did Invisalign came into your life? Let's talk. Let's start with that. Okay, so off to the states, late nineties, early noughties. Yeah, um, a lot of the American academies were showing beautiful veneer work and beautiful cosmetic dentistry done and what really I was scratching my head trying to figure out hold on why 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 can I not do this on my patients why do I see the patients and I don't immediately have the treatment plan and what occurred to me was that I my patient pool was very largely untreated orthodontically from a teen from their teens yeah or they had tremendous relapse or they were treated orthodontically in a way that was very much extraction-based, old school. And so to create these beautiful smiles on these and, and facially drive my treatment planning, I realized that functionally I had problems. I was either gonna have to prepare the teeth really aggressively and, and, and crown teeth yeah. to simulate alignment or get involved with an orthodontist. And this is the lesson that was being taught at all of the teaching institutes like Dawson, certainly at Panky. I was introduced to Frank Spear and his facially dri 
generated treatment planning, working with an orthodontist called Vincent Kokic. And, and this is what they were teaching at the institutes. You know, a lot of the patients, here's the end result, but actually what they haven't shown you in the background is that half these patients went for orthodontic alignment first. Yeah. And then Invisalign appeared on the scene. Mm -hmm. I had an undergraduate training in fixed appliances, so I had a fairly good grasp of orthodontics. Um, but Invisalign just seemed like, wow, hold on a second. Now I can be in control of the positions of the teeth, the angles of the teeth, yeah. the function. And so it was a it was a really light bulb moment for me. And this was in 2003. So um, I went off and did the two-day course at, the, at a Holiday Inn somewhere near Gatwick, yeah. I think. <laughs> <laughs> um, and of course, it's it's nearly 20 years ago. Oh, so you so, started well before me. So I certified in 2007. So you'd started before me. Yes, I think I was 04 or 03. Yeah, yeah. I can't exactly remember. So, Mark, you know, we know that, right? Getting, doing, going for a training or doing something is, you know, lots of people do it. But actually learning those ideas and learning those concepts and bringing that into practice, that's a, that's a completely different ball game. So let, let's talk about that. How did you, you know, how did you market Invisalign? And how are you currently marketing and finding those patients? What is your current marketing strategy in your business for Invisalign? Now that, that again is a very poignant question because um, I'm involved in training dentists how to I'm gonna, become better. I'm going to Invisalign. come to that in a minute. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so I guess I've created a, a competitive marketplace for myself. Um, I guess the point I'm trying to make is there are so many more dentists trained in, in Invisalign in the, you know, than there certainly were back in 2003. So in 2003, 2004, marketing Invisalign was, you you were unique. Yeah. You were maybe one of very few people in, in a small radius, although Harley Street being the exception, even then there were very, very, very few people doing it. And, and so you were unique and people found you because you were offering a service that wasn't fixed braces. Yeah. And way back then, you know, people were still being told by orthodontists and by general dentists, well, you have to have fixed braces. It's the only way you can move teeth. And 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 general dentists, well, they shouldn't really be moving teeth. Um, so that was a, a quite a quite a strong message at the time. Things have evolved enormously since then. Yeah. So the strategy for marketing Invisalign has really changed. And and I guess for me, there are two ways. There are two types of patients. Because I do a lot of complex dentistry, a lot of restorative dentistry that might involve full mouth rehabilitations now. Um, Pre-alignment orthodont or pre-restorative orthodontics, uh, so alignment before restoring, yeah. is probably the main reason I use Invisalign these days. Mm -hmm. And I, I would say that has been the case for at least the last 10 years, maybe even longer than that. And so for me, it's a way that I can set the patient up in a far more predictable and uh, a far more, um, I guess, um, beneficial way for both me and the patient and for longevity of the dentistry. Yeah. So yeah. better results for both of us and longer lasting dentistry. So I do less what I would might, what might've been called inadvertent commas, pure orthodontics. Um, so I think the other great area that of patients that are out there are young, the younger patient, not necessarily always younger, but the patient who's not heavily restored, who isn't in need of or looking for a really complex restorative outcome, mm -hmm. where mostly what you're doing is aligning healthy teeth into better positions. And because we're treating adults, 
some minor restorative work at the end. So the classic align bleach bond type yeah. patient or yeah. what it became known as. So that I think there are two real audiences for Invisalign. And of course now we, um, because I've got a practice in the suburbs, I have a specialist orthodontist, we're starting to do Invisalign first for young ones for early intervention. Yeah. Uh, Invisalign teen has always been an offering. Um, but for adults, um, I think the marketing strategy is different yeah. for the type of patient. So I think it fits perfectly with this uh, invis minimum invasive dentistry, the world which we are all living in. I remember uh, the days when I got into dentistry was uh, prepping the teeth so heavily that the crowns look, the veneers looks absolutely beautiful. But now you'll hardly see anybody who is doing that. So everybody's thinking about minimum invasive, minimum prep, and then ABB, as you said, you know, if, most of the cases, you don't even need uh, porcelain veneers nowadays. But whereas if you go back 10 years ago, that's what we were doing, right? Wall-to-wall, wall-to-wall uh, -wall porcelain veneers. So Mark, you know, you've yes. been in this industry, you've run very high-profile practices. You must have had some really high-profile patients. And nowadays, <laughs> people talk about, you know, influencers marketing and stuff like that. Have you ever tapped into that? Have you ever, has that worked for you? See, that's, that's a great question as well. And I think, it, I mean, I always used to look at colleagues who invariably um, would be spending a lot of money back in those days on PR yes. to, bring in, to bring in what might have been known as celebrities and potentially offering pro bono, well, I wouldn't even call it pro bono, offering free dentistry in exchange for the influence of the celebrity. Now, a lot of my colleagues did a lot of that. It was a great way to gain some traction and promote the practice. But I was always very nervous about doing that. And for one very simple reason, a lot of the patients ended up coming to my practice because we did the opposite. We were very oh, discreet. Yeah. Right. And so, I mean, I what I found as well is that the really famous people they were they didn't want to have yeah, free treatment yeah, yeah. you know they wanted to have really high quality treatment and a good relationship of trust with their dentist so it tend if you look back a little at the lot of the promotional stuff that we're using celebrities they were very much the equivalent of the influencer these days people who were well known um but would not necessarily be called the a-lister you know yeah. we, we we're not talking the hollywood superstar who was willing to have free dentistry to so that you could use a photograph of them on your website. Yeah, I so I tended to have those clients that wanted to be discreet and didn't want anybody to know. Um, so I, I didn't do, we didn't do much of that. I did a couple of those TV things. We did a thing called Pop Goes the Band, yeah, yeah. Flir flirted with extreme makeover and those kind of makeover type shows. Yeah, but yeah. for me, it was more about building the client list based on your reputation. Yeah, absolutely. You know, man, it's it's so so funny that you say that. Uh, you know, I've, I've been doing these uh, mastering your Invisalign business courses. So we've done about six uh, training days in the co first quarter, and there's lots of young dentists that are coming for coming for those courses. And now it's all about Instagram, you know. And there are some super associates out there who are getting all their Invisalign patients or all their ABB patients through through social media and uh, through their own, and they are on their phones, like literally 24 seven messaging everybody. And I was looking back and you know, when I think I'm 
I think it's okay for me to say that we both are in the same category that we really I think harness the power of the internet at that time you know the google paper click I think for me when that came that's when my invisalign journey started so that was the platform which we had and we did our best to maximize that and uh, now it's it's a different world right and i don't think uh... totally <laughs> yes and and i think the whole instagram thing is very interesting to me i tried to look back and see well what was instagram for you and i when we started and it was probably paper uh, paper click yeah. google ads and and your website had you know was a powerful tool in those days i think now websites tend to be more a reinforcement of of how people find you um the challenge i think that that instagram has and especially what i see on instagram is that a lot of the dentistry i do is a line bleach bond yeah but the majority of the dentistry i do is much more complex than that and so my age group or the key age group and demographic that i've been treating for the last 20 years do not follow do not necessarily buy into the influencer concept because they are probably a little bit more discerning yeah. or they they have needs beyond what is out there mostly on Instagram and i think one of the risks um is that Instagram will become overwhelmed with everybody doing and offering the same kind of thing yeah. and to be honest i cannot tell the difference between a lot of younger dentists uh presentations on Instagram because they all look the same yeah. and and i think if you don't hone your skills in the more traditional types of dentistry yeah. you know restorative dentistry what happens when your when your patient base increases in age and that is bound to happen yeah yeah not only yeah yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. No. good so let's let's talk about your training uh, it it seems like you know you have done everything you've treated so many patients you've tried lots of different ideas you've learned from different you know really high profile institutes and you've started your own training now so let's talk about that tell us what that training is about and how people can find out more about it well thank you for asking that um so i think when align asked me to teach and i got involved in doing some lectures for bacd and i guess because i've had many many associates over the years mentoring and passing on the knowledge that i have gained including all the mistakes that i've made because i didn't have a mentor myself and i didn't have someone close to hand to really help me along with my journey i had to do a lot of it myself so i made a lot of mistakes but learned a huge amount from all those mistakes so i really get a, a kick out of doing that uh, i mean i have young children and you know the greatest thing in life for me are your kids and and watching them learn and grow and and helping them make their way in the world and I have the same feeling about helping dentists of all ages not only young dentists but then yeah. you know everybody can learn at any stage in their life. And what I found was that I often learned up ended up learning more by teaching and mentoring myself yeah. and by actually passing on the knowledge. Mm -hmm. And and I guess I've got one eye on the future, I've got one eye on what do I do when, you know, the body starts to not allow me to do five or six days week restorative dentistry which sometimes i do hence why i'm never on instagram because i'm busy with patients <laughs> <laughs> um but at some point you know that i see a need for me not to be able to be physically involved with patients so much and i love teaching and i guess i wanted to present first of all live patient training so you can do hands on as much as you like but until you actually get your hands on a patient 
you're never really gonna be able to learn those skills. Yeah. Um, and so I wanted to have live patient training and the clinics have been set up in such a way that we have video feeds from the chair to screens, video feeds and microphones from the clinicians to allow more people to watch what's going on on a screen as opposed to over the shoulder, which they can do as well. But the other aspect was I wanted it to be very comprehensive. I wanted to present an option to have a 10 module course or individual courses for the general practitioner and to try and cover every aspect of the restorative, aesthetic restorative general practitioner from the 30 years I've had in clinic clinical practice. Yeah. So while you're talking about this, how can people find out more about it? So I have a website and it's hughesdentaltraining.com and they can email me at mark at or info at if they want to find out more. Now the launch date was March 2020. Yeah. <laughs> but of course that got pulled <laughs> because of the pandemic. And until I felt confident that we could actually have a run of, you know, being able to book patients in and see patients through in treatment, um, I postponed things for a couple of years. But looking at Q3 this year to get going, um, the courses will be very selective. I, I don't see myself uh, involved in training 100 people at a time or lecturing to large rooms. It's meant to be very intimate um, and to be able to pass on as much knowledge as possible. It's the same you know? same, same ethos you're trying to bring into your learning, right? Luxury, exactly. concierge, small number of people. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Exactly. I can see where that's going. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. So, you know, Mark, you're doing lots of stuff. You're running a clinic. As you said, you just opened a new one. And knowing you, every time, I'm sure you've got a lot more ideas which world doesn't know yet, which will be coming to fruition very soon. Um, doing the training now as well. How do you manage your time? How do you prioritize what you need to focus on? Um, a, a great friend of mine, James, who I trained with, another dentist, always said that I was able to compartmentalize. Wow. And I never understood what he meant. Um, and he noticed it in in my relationships, in my interaction with my friends and my family, that um, I was able to sort of select and devote time rather than less just letting it flow. And I guess that's the only way that I can manage it. Um, because as you said, I'm very busy. I still commute into London two days a week. Yeah, that's, That takes a lot of time up. Um, and I have children who are at school all week, but I want to spend time with them at the weekends. So I certainly don't do any or very, very few Saturday clinics anymore. I've cut back on the evening family sessions, time. <laughs> family time. Yeah. Um, and one thing that Panky taught me was to be very careful with planning your time, to make sure that you plan enough time in your week for your admin, for your treatment planning, for looking at your study models, for talking to the lab. And I guess it's about efficiency in the booking of the patient diary. That's probably the key thing. I'm a real stickler for efficient diary management yeah, as yeah. opposed to an uncontrolled random selection of patients, patients squeezed in for the wrong amount of time, et cetera, et cetera. So I, I work very hard with my team to make sure that uh, diary management is, is efficient. Um, and I don't take on every patient. I mean, there are, there are, there are certainly cases that I want to take on and others that I would pass on to the associates or to colleagues. Well, you know, what you have done so far is you can be selective, right? And if you don't plan what you want to do, I think uh, the an analogy I heard was you become like a bumper cars, right? People yes. will take you to a direction wherever they want, unless you know what you yes. stand for and what you want to do. And 
the world got to work and revolved around the way it works for you really more than anything else yes and and you you need to think deeply and plan that yeah. um but actually once you're in a routine and your team be the team behind you and of course we can't do any of this without a great team you know that yeah, yeah. um and that takes time as well because you need time to devote to the team yeah and you're always shifting the balance i mean it's 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 always in flux it's always in flow there's always a time when the team need more or the patients need more or your family need more or you need more and there's never you know it's never set in stone i've never got to the point where i think that's it life is just absolutely perfectly balanced because guess what it's not and there's always something around the corner you didn't expect yeah um yeah. but you must protect your time and protect your family time, your personal time, your admin time, and your time with your patients have to be protected too. Absolutely. And Mark, you know, you said at the start that it's going to be 30 years this year since you've been qualified and, you know, talking to you, you still feel, look on enthusiastic about talking about dentistry. You, it's coming across really natural. You know what you're doing. Where did that drive come from? So I don't want to sound cliched, but it's been the greatest privilege of my life to be yeah. able to invest the things that I've learned because I had a desire to learn them for my own personal gain, but to invest those skills into helping people. And yeah, you know, it can sound very cliched, but honestly, a lot of the patients I treat, most of the patients I treat, are trans have transformative experiences either in their ability to enjoy life because they can eat what they want yeah and they can smile when they want yeah yeah and even on a minor level that you know even if it's something relatively simple for some people to be confident about their smile to be healthy is, a, is an enormous gift yeah so that's what drives me it's become more enjoyable because i've got better at it over the years um and the level that I can take it to now, certainly for the last, say, five or 10 years, really is life-changing for a lot of people. And, and you become really close to your patients. Yeah. And uh, while some of them become what I would call friends, most of them you develop a very strong bond with. And, and, and that's a, an enormously rewarding thing. We're human beings. You know, and the most exciting things that happen to us are usually in interacting with other people. Yeah, yeah. Um, it might be interacting with friends uh, on a track day or at a concert, but you can get the same enjoyment from being with your patients. Yeah. Um, and, and I guess that's what keeps me going. And do you think that that's where this uh, teaching idea has come from, that uh, you want to pay it forward now and you want to teach other people? Most definitely. I mean, of course, I get something from it too. Um, it's the, you know, the greatest altruism invariably gives you emotional reward back. Yeah. But, um, but I guess also dentistry can be very difficult. It can be very challenging. It can be very depressing sometimes. And I think I see a lot of younger dentists or dentists who really struggle with that. So part of the teaching is, is, a, is not, it's not about how to do a crown prep. Yeah. Of course, it's that. But it's about everything that you have to do as a dentist to survive, to to interact with your patients, to produce great results, and to deal with challenges. And and communication and how we communicate are the foundations for that. And that's something I see very little of in teaching. Yeah, yeah. I see, you know, this is a great composite, this is a great veneer, but you only get to do that unless you learn the skills to communicate with your patients and to avoid problems. Yeah. That's all communication. 
an interaction yeah, as well. Clinical dentist is a part of the whole thing, right? It's about business of dentistry. It's about managing the team. It's about leadership. It's about communication. Everything. It's about making sure that everybody enjoy what they do, really. That's, uh, that's yeah. the bottom line. Yeah. And, and as the driving force behind it, as you know, we have to shoulder a lot, but still present the, you know, the strong face in front of everybody, Absolutely. even though in the background, it's all going crazy. Every day is a short time. When you, when Every you day, work, you're absolutely right. Short time. <laughs> absolutely. So a couple of things to just close, uh, close the discussion, Mark. You know, if you're stuck on a desert island, oh. who would like you to be your companion? I understand family will be there, but yeah. outside family, who else would you ah. like to spend time with? Yeah, so I guess you know, family would be number one. But if it was what I mean, one person, that's such a difficult question. I guess um, I mean the the greatest enjoyment I ha I've had from interacting with fellow human beings has been in discussion and debate. Um, and I guess you know they say never meet your heroes, but I mean some of the great minds of the of the twenty. 19th and 20th century would probably fall in there um, but I, I don't know could I play cricket with Gandhi <laughs> could I you know could, could, no no could I could I get uh, uh, drunk with James Joyce you know I, I, I really don't know so I guess it might be somebody that I would have fun with so uh, the person I would pick would be Billy Connolly Oh, okay. <laughs> that's amazing. To me, <laughs> he's sure. given... That's going to be a fun <laughs> evening. That, I can, that's well, <laughs> he's, he's, he's a musician. Yeah. He's a poet. Yeah. He's a comedian. He's a gentle human being, but he's also full of life and energy. And I think Billy Connolly in his prime would be hilarious yeah, that's and, and rewarding. So that's the person I would pick. Well, that tells you, you know, fun is right at the top of your priority list, right? You know, you've got to enjoy what you do as you go along. Eh? Well, dentistry is serious. And, yeah. you know, and, and it's, we have to produce serious outcomes for our patients. But, yeah, yeah. you know, the rest of life should, should be, you know, it should yeah, be yeah. enjoyable. <laughs> yeah. So I guess that's my answer. Uh, the final one is what's your favorite book which you can share with our listeners? Um, I guess it goes back to my roots in Ireland. I think, and I've always struggled to read it cover to cover. I've never managed to read it in one sitting, as it were. But I would probably pick Ulysses by James Joyce. Okay. Uh, okay. One, because for me, it's one of the greatest novels ever written. Yeah. Um, you know, any any book that has a, a sentence of 50 plus words. <laughs> but, but also it... A lot of it is about Dublin, where I grew up, yeah. and 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 I guess you know we, we always, especially in in my older years or as I get to, through middle age, you know you think about your youth and where you grew up, and and yeah. it's it's nice to be reminded of that, and it's it's the most wonderfully written book. It's incredible. It's a masterpiece, really. I'll I'll make a, I'll make a note of that as a, as a, in my in my reading list to to get it next time from America. Be warned, it's a struggle. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. It's always. It's always, you know, if you keep reading the same thing, if you keep doing the same thing, you're never going to grow, right? You've got to push yourself out of the comfort zone and, uh, you know, learn and read uh, read different things. Yes, exactly. Good. Excellent. So, Mark, it's been an absolutely honor, man. Thank you really. You're very welcome. Thanks a lot. I really appreciate your time. I know how busy you are. And I'm sure, you know, listeners will find a lot of nuggets from from your life journey man 30 years and look here you are and still enjoying every day so no that's uh, that's a testament to you so thank you for your time mark you're very welcome lovely to see you nice to be able to chat absolutely man absolutely cheers mark we'll catch up take bro. care take care bye
I hope you enjoyed this episode of Mastering Your Invisalign Business. For more inspiration and to find out how you can build your business with Invisalign, visit drsandeepkumar.co.uk.